Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day, g'day, g'day. The Story Chunder Insta Live will be starting in 10, 9... Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, if anybody's here. And so began the initial Insta Live of the Story Chunder, which was a live event, but we've been forced online by COVID-19. One of the advantages is that we can cross state lines here in Australia, so we've got some great guests tonight from New South Wales and beyond. I've shamelessly asked all of my friends from music theatre to come and join me on this podcast, and so our first storyteller is Meredith O'Reilly, who some of you may know for her role as Hold Me, Touch Me in the original Australian cast of The Producers, or as Grandma in The Addams Family. And Meredith wanted to share a story with us about meeting someone who was very famous. I'm Matt Young, your host, and welcome to the Story Chunder podcast. Enjoy. Well, let's just get right to it. It's all about the time I met Audrey Hepburn. Okay. Yeah, not many people can say that, right? (laughs) Okay, so it was back in 1990, and I was married to a very nice journalist back then who happened to work at A Current Affair on Channel 9. And I knew that Audrey Hepburn was coming out in her UNICEF capacity. This was 1990. And um, she was going to be doing an interview with Yana Vent. But, of course, her program was very, very busy. She had hundreds of interviews to do. So she couldn't go to Channel 9. Channel 9 had to go to her. Now, this was quite unusual back in 1990, not like you and I now having a bit of a chat from wherever. It was quite a palaver. So on that day, I was sound asleep in my bed. I get a ring, 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 ring. And Eric says, Miss, Miss, we need another researcher. We need a minder to look after Audrey during the interview to, while it's being set up with Yana remotely. And I went, oh. he said, of course I thought of you. We're, we're shy a researcher today. So for those who don't know, a minder is like a junior researcher or a gopher, if you will. And the people he worked with knew me, so they knew I could put you know, not make a fool of myself. But of course I was left with 90 minutes to get ready, get out of bed, get hair and makeup done, get a taxi to town and be at the Wentworth Hotel, as it was called then, along with thousands of journalists who were all there and Audrey was there on stage and they're all click, 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 flash, flash, flash. And she was so beautiful. She was poised. She was elegant. She was stunning. Of course, I'd fretted for hours. What to wear? Well, I didn't have hours. What to wear? What to wear? But I had the perfect outfit. I'd done a coffee commercial a few weeks before. And given it was 1990, fashion wasn't great in 1990, but I had this really nice mustard dress, quite fitted with uh, a black trim. And I felt kind of tailored and I thought, yeah, that'll do. So I was well turned out. And there was Audrey far away on the stage 
just poised, talking about the world's poor, specifically children. Many people know that she was the UNICEF ambassador for a number of years close to her death. And by this stage, she was 60. And the real reason that she wanted to be a UNICEF ambassador was because she herself was starved and deprived during World War II. Her father famously left off to hang out with the Nazis, leaving her aristocratic Dutch mother and her stranded on holidays in Amsterdam, and then all the borders closed. So she was really starved during World War II, and it had a lifelong effect on her. Part of that effect was she, she was always skinny, but she, she also had an empathy with anyone who was hungry in the world. So UNICEF was a natural fit. <laughs> Anywho, she finishes the big press conference and then the publicist hands Audrey over to me. And of course, well, I didn't touch her or anything. It wasn't quite like that, but I was introduced and I said, hello, Miss Hepburn. I'm going to be taking you upstairs to the Channel 9 studio uh, that they've set up in one of the other hotel rooms. Yes, that's very nice. Thank you, Meredith. And we walked towards the lift. So we got into the lift and she looked a little bit tense, a little bit like she didn't really know me and a bit unsure about what was going on. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a tall, dark figure. And then a great, big, hairy paw went into the back of her hand. Without her even turning, she visibly relaxed. And she just looked at peace. And that was the big, hairy paw of her partner of many years by that stage, 10 years they'd already been together, Robert Walders, who would stay with her till her death a few years later of colon cancer. And so once she'd kind of ascertained he was in the lift too, she just chilled out, relaxed, was all pretty cool. And then he got off, presumably on their floor of the hotel or whatever, and went, and I took her up for the interview. It was hysterical. We stepped out of the interview, and the first thing she said was, I'm starving. Are there any sandwiches? And I was like, yes, we have sandwiches, and we have tea, and we have coffee. It's all laid out for you. And she said, oh, great. And where's the ladies' room? So there I am taking Audrey Hepburn to the ladies' room, which was semi-private down a hallway, and I'm waiting outside, not listening, of course, thinking, oh, my God, I'm outside the ladies' room and Audrey's inside. And she came out, and I led her to the sandwiches, handed her a plate and a serviette. Of course, I wasn't going to choose her food. She knew what she wanted to eat. And then we waited for the sound uh, engineer to be set up, the soundie and the cameraman, and then Yana's face came up. And then they did the interview and it was lovely and you did feel like they were talking one-on-one, -on -one, which was, you know, the ruse. And then after it was over, I was just standing at the back of the room and then I had to thank Miss Hepburn and hand her back to the publicist. But she was so beautiful and she was so serene at 60, she had just a few fine lines on her face, completely natural, beautiful cream Chanel suit, little tan pumps. I did notice that her feet did look big. All her life, she thought, my feet are too big, even though they were size seven and a half, but because they were so skinny, they did look quite big. But the thing I really remember about that is that relationship that just made her relax, feel comforted, protected. He was a big, tall, handsome man. He was an actor, a Dutch actor in TV shows, not widely well known, but they stayed together and he was with her at her death. And I thought to myself, I think everyone deserves a relationship like that, to be wrapped in that kind of love and comfort and just know that that person's looking out for you for the rest of your life. I wish everyone out there that, I wish it for me. So if there's a Robert Walters out there, 
hi. <laughs> you can be hairy or not hairy. I don't care. <laughs> and that's my Audrey story. Thank you, Meredith. And that was quite a story. And we then went on to reminisce about us both meeting Mel Brooks when we did The Producers, but that's a story for another time. Which brings us to New York City, where our next guest, Becky Ho, is a professional actor and a grad student at Columbia University. And Becky wanted to share some tips about when you take movement class as an actor. Great, yeah. So I moved to New York City two years ago to attend this really prestigious acting school. That's the alma mater of like Danny DeVito, Paul Rudd, Robert Redford, Grace Kelly, really great actors. And I was like, this is it. This is my time. I'm in New York City. I'm living the dream. This is the place where I learned to become an actor and I learned the craft. And this is the place I'll learn how to be able to transform myself into any character that I want to. And to the school's credit, I did learn those abilities. But some of the methods to get there, I have a lot of questions about. Because what no one tells you when you sign up for an acting school or get in is what acting school is actually like. So, I mean, like any school, we took a variety of subjects, acting, scene study, voice and speech, all of which I loved. I have questions about the movement subject that we took. And I'm going to talk a little bit my relationship with movement. Um, so... As you've already said, I have been dancing my whole life. I started dancing when I was two years old and I don't wanna to like toot my own horn or anything, but I always thought I was pretty good at it. I had a natural kind of ability. So when I found out that there was gonna be this movement subject at this acting school, I was like, amazing. This is, this is great. This is going to be, you know what? This is gonna be the subject that I'm known for. This is gonna be like my thing. And this is, gonna, this is gonna be the breeze subject, the one that I don't even need to think about. So, and then it turns out that my movement is going to be the first ever class I take at acting school. So I'm like, amazing, let's start this thing off with a bang. So it gets to the first day, we're all waiting outside the classroom and I'm waiting in the, I'm kind of stretching and warming up in the waiting area, kind of showing off a little bit because I could. And I was doing like splits always. I was really, I was so excited. And we get into the classroom, everyone's a little bit nervous, a little bit excited. And then the teacher walks in and you can hear a pin drop. Now, my teacher, I don't know if you know Harry Potter, but my teacher kind of gives off major Professor Trelawney vibes. She has these like really wide eyes that get even wider when she gets really into something. And she has this kind of like mystical put on quality that's honestly a little bit creepy and a little bit disconcerting. <laughs> um, but here we are on the first day. I'm so excited. And the first thing she gets us to do is she's like, stand in a room, in this, find a spot in the room and breathe. Breathe from your pelvis. Make it feel yummy in your pelvis. And I kid you not, we stood and breathed for the entirety of that first class. All we did in that class was stand and breathe. I thought I was going to be moving in a movement class. But no, the class is two hours long. For two hours, we stood and breathed. <laughs> so needless to say, movement and I got off to a really rocky start because I hated every second of that standing and breathing stuff. So <laughs> finally, when we were allowed to move, we moved on to this thing called the neutral mask where you kind of put on this kind of, it's like a blank mask. 
And because of that, you clearly don't have any facial expressions anymore. You're not allowed to talk. And the only way to express yourself is through your body. So I was like, okay, I really didn't like that standing and breathing stuff, but maybe this mask stuff will be the thing that I'm great at, expressing yourself through your body. That's all I've done for like my whole life. This, yeah, this is gonna be the thing. So I get like a little bit optimistic about this whole new mask thing that we were doing. And our teacher says she's gonna put us through this scenario. And I was like, okay. And then I hear the mask goes to sleep. So I was like, great, I'm exhausted from standing and breathing. Let's, let's take, a, take a quick nap. So I'm lying there on the ground and then I hear the mask wakes up on the beach for the first time. And I start to actually get like really into it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can feel the sand beneath my fingers. I can hear the ocean. I can smell that salty, salty water. I can feel the breeze. I can feel the sun caressing my face. And then I hear the mask walks towards the edge of the beach and I'm like, Okay, so I stand up, I'm walking, I can feel the sand still beneath my feet, I can feel the waves gently touch my toes, and I'm looking out to the horizon, it's blue sky, blue water as far as the eye can see, and I'm really, really getting into it at this point. And then I hear, there's a bird on the right, and I'm like, yeah, great, why not? So I conjure a little bird, this little red canary, and he's there, and I'm watching, and then I hear, the bird flies to the left. There goes the bird. It does a little loop-de-loop. -loop. I'm, I'm still with it. The bird flies to the right. Whoosh, there it goes. The bird flies up. The bird flew up until it was a tiny speck in the distance. And then I hear the bird drops dead. <laughs> what? Say what now? I was completely pulled out of whatever I was in. And I had one of those dawning realizations that come on you and you're like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, what? What? This is insane. This is this is insanity. This is ridiculous. And like, I seem to be the only one who's clocked that because everyone else around me is like crying over this dead bird. I'm like, everybody, you do realize this is ridiculous. This is this cannot be happening. So I just like, and I'm in this mask. So I just like blankly stare at my teacher, and she calmly stares back at me. And because this scenario is not done yet, she looks at me and says, "The bird wakes up." And I'm like, great, this thing is still going. And she's like staring, and I think she's clocked that I'm like so done by this point. And she's looking at me, she's like, yeah, yeah, the bird died. The bird fucking died and fucking came back to life. It's a big deal. And I'm like, okay. And because I still have to participate in this thing, I'm like swatting away at this dead zombie bird that's just <laughs> resurrected itself in front of me. And I think she notices that I'm about to like, lose it so she's like the bird flies away and i'm like yeah see ya. peace out birds see you never i'm done and that's my story wow and i said have you ever seen um, a chorus line which is a show that i did in the states in the 1990s i was like it sounds like morales and you know mr carp and his be an ice cream cone be a bobsled but this is what we go through as actors, so if you think we're crazy, mm, this is why. Now our next story is Chloe Thiel, who strangely enough um, was a dance student with Becky Ho here in Brisbane, but takes us from New York to London, where Chloe has been studying at the Lane School of Drama. And here is Chloe's story.
Oh, and I should have said it earlier, but I didn't. But the theme for this week's stories was relationships. Enjoy. As a young girl, uh, well, black, late teenager, I know what you're all thinking. You're probably going, oh, no, here she comes with some horrible breakup story or some relationship that's turned bad. But I'm just going to be blunt and I'm going to say that's not where the story is going <laughs> at all. So... And I had like the most exciting moment of my life in June 2019. I found out that I was accepted onto one of the most amazing like London colleges, one of the top five. And um, I was accepted onto their three-year course and I was so excited. Couldn't wait to start. So I, in like less than two months, which isn't that long like the time, I had to pack my life into a suitcase and move halfway across the world and leave my actual family in hopes to create like a new second family as a Laney, which was quite exciting. Yeah, so my studies commenced in September and things are going like really great for me. I gained like new friendships. I networked with some amazing industry professionals and life at Lane was like everything I hoped it could be. Like I was working really hard. I was just living the dream, yeah. Uh, we had just finished our like major college assessments and then we heard the awful news that the major virus had hit China hard and I was like oh that's devastating but like being a teenager I never stopped to think about how this would affect me so I was like oh, okay I'll keep going on as normal and things were fine then after like a few weeks it was like okay no this is not fine we're gonna get affected by this and then all of a sudden like colleges were closing and then I don't know we ended up starting to like make this weird college bingo thing so we were like marking off each college that independently like closed their doors and like it just became like this massive thing <laughs> and yeah it was, everyone was getting devastated like local students international students it was quite crazy and but I was still positive which is weird because Lane still kept soldiering on we were yeah but behind the scenes my parents were like they were beginning to discuss how like this would affect my relationship with my love of musical theatre and my life in London. But I mean, we still tried to keep going. And then after being proud to say the last college standing, we had to yell bingo and Lane unfortunately had to close their doors for the foreseeable future, like in an un unknown amount of time. And this really affected my relationship with my love of musical theatre because my Lane family were having to like spread their wings and travel back home and I was like really devastated and torn between like staying with my relationship with musical, with musical theatre and being with my friends or going back home to be with my relationship with my family and stuff. So after a long hard think, I think I made the right decision and I was like I need to get back to Brisbane while I still can. So my dad managed to wake me up, which is a funny story, at 1.30 in the morning by using Find My iPhone. I don't know, he's a technical wizard. And he was like, all right, Chloe, um, you have to get to the airport at 8 a.m. today. And I was like, Dad, I don't know if you've met me, but it takes me a long time to pack. <laughs> so I was like, all right, no sleep for me. I'm going to rush everything, put everything in my suitcase. And I was literally like bouncing off the walls at 1.30 in the morning. And I was like, this is not normal. Like, what am I doing? I like packed, I managed to pack my life into a suitcase. Then I had like the stress of like getting to the airport in time. I got there, I got on a plane, and it was going to Brisbane, and I was like, oh, good, life is sweet. And then, as I, like, got off the plane after my, like, 16-hour flight, it, they have just announced that UK had gone into, like, complete lockdown. And I was like, huh, right decision. 
And so I like got home and we're all good. But I like sit here on day six of my um, 14 day isolation. And I go, yeah, like while I, well, it's good that I came home, although I can't see my family, my family, you know, for the next eight days. It was good that I can like return to my like relationship with my musical theatre and my friends as soon as all of this blows over. And I think I made the right decision there. So yeah, that's my story about my relationship with my family and musical theatre that didn't involve a breakup. Thank you, Chloe. And in my brief, I said, dude, this relationship can be about any sort of relationship. It doesn't have to be about a romance. It can be about your relationship with your family or your career. Now, from London, we head to L.A., uh, where we meet up with Kat Hoyos. Now, Kat is a fantastic triple threat performer who you may know from Jersey Boys, uh, Hairspray, Xanadu at the Hayes Theatre, or Here Come the Habibs on Channel 9. Kat found herself in that unique situation of being overseas in a time where she wanted to be with one of her loved ones, and here is her story. My unbelievable story. Well, if you told me a year ago this was going to happen, I would never believe it. Um, so, yeah, uh, when was it? December 2017, my fiancé, Reese proposed to me, and uh, I said yes. And um, so we were talking about when to get married, and he wanted to do it in 2018, and um, I was like, no, no, let's, let's kind of like just wait it out and enjoy the time. And, and so we decided we wanted to get married, um, this year in 2020. And so we had all this time to prepare. We gave ourselves like just that nice space to enjoy making something together and, um, you know, making sure we had the right people and that we could go and do the on-site visits and just, you know, enjoy it as a couple. And then, um, <laughs> as we all know, this virus thing came out. And um, so I was in LA in January this year. And um, I think it was like around February when California was, um, became, uh, they, they announced there was a state panic or emergency. It was an emergency um, situation, but nothing was really done about it. So um, I had a, a bridesmaid who was in the UK a bridesmaid in Florida, my other bridesmaid was in Australia. And so we were sort of conversing um, from country to country and seeing what was going on. And of course, with my partner, Reese, we were talking about it and he was like, it'll be fine. It'll blow over. You know, once you come back, things are going to calm down. And I was like, okay, okay. And then little by little, we started to get those bits of information. And I think the, the part that really hit was um, when um, the, the travel bans were put in place. And so my girlfriend started to become really concerned because of quarantine and self-isolation. And then I myself was going to go into self-isolation, but my partner was still remaining really hopeful. <laughs> so when I came back to Australia, I was like, Reese, I don't think this is going to happen. He's like, no, it's happening. We're going to get married. And I was like, I really don't think this is possible. I'm just giving out some facts here. And he's like, it's going to blow over. It's going to blow over. And I was like, I don't think so. And then the thing that really hit it was when they, uh, they announced the, the amount of people that could attend a wedding. And it was reduced to, what, five people to celebrate the couple and a couple of witnesses. And I was like, no. Nah. This is, no, this is not what, you know, I'm, I'm not a diva and I'm, I'm not setting it out to be a, a perfect wedding, but it's just, we 
spent so much time to make it a day that was really special where we want people to enjoy it. We didn't want people to feel anxious about standing next to each other. And so, yeah, we made the call about a week and a bit ago to, um, to postpone it. And that was really tough. But at the same time, um, we knew it was going to be the best thing to do because we want everyone to have a good time at the end of the day and we want those people there. And so it was kind of like we looked at it and went, who would have thought that a bat would uh, postpone the wedding? Who would have thought that a virus would come between two lovers eloping away in a special location? <laughs> Like, it was just, like, that is unbelievable to me, that yeah. we right now are in this situation of not even being able to, to talk to people face-to-face, -face. you know, two people or more. There's all these 1.5-metre restrictions and takeaway only and people's jobs are lost and people can't travel and they have to self-isolate. It is like something out of a movie that we would never think would happen in our lives, and here we are. So um, that is my unbelievable romantic story for you. And thus ends another edition of the story Chunder. Wow, some incredible stories. Thank you for people from all over the world who are now back in Brisbane or Sydney for sharing your stories. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, we do actually have a Patreon, so please go on over there. Subscribe to us on Spotify, rate us on iTunes. We would all love all of that. But most importantly, we just are here to tell you stories, um, unbelievable true stories from our lives. We'll see you again next time on The Story Chunder. Stay safe, wash your hands, and look after your loved ones. Take care. It's been Matt Young. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.